again on Monday night. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the New Sound News Podcast, episode 265 The Pod. Alongside Matt Rooney, I am Joe Bruso. It's been a minute, almost forgot how to do the intro, but we are back. Better than ever and bigger than ever because we have your NFL preview pod. It is my favorite pod of the entire year because we're right about everything. Okay. No one has proven us wrong yet. Uh, No one has made us look the fool. Mm -hmm. We just let you know how we feel, why we feel that way. And we try to make it as entertaining as possible. We hope you guys enjoy Matt Roney first and foremost, as we always begin. How the hell are you? Joe, I'm I'm sitting here wondering how the hell you are because as we talked about on the last pod, also I was right, definitely didn't listen to it. Um, mm-hmm. You're a married man now. How are we doing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was. No, I, didn't I, have... I did the I did the intro last week and tried to do it the way you do, and I, nice. I was I was fine until I got to episode, and then I just completely blanked, had no idea what episode number yeah, no, you it was. Gotta, and... You got to make that your own. You yeah, make that you know, your own. That was my own. My own was messing it up, but it was it was it was. <laughs> we missed you, but how how was uh. Are we two weeks, week or something now? A little over a week, half, 10 days? Saturday, 10 days? Saturday, was, Saturday was the one week, so uh, yeah, we're... Happy we're, anniversary. We're about a, thank you. Yeah, we, had, we went out for our anniversary dinner, which was lovely, and if we're going to have to do that every week, I'm just going to be I'm just gonna be broke. Um, but if something uh, tells no, me that's a, not going to be a weekly thing. <laughs> we had a lovely one-week anniversary uh, dinner. I, I feel like I just got it figured out. Now, you know, I got a wife, got a ring on my finger. Mm-hmm. Uh, I... I we got a, a Nest thermostat, a Google Nest oh, thermostat. Wow. And I'm I'm not a handyman. Like I will be the first to raise my hand and say, like, my handiness, my handiness cuts off at like uh painting baseboards and like refilling uh wiper fluid in a car. I can I do completely, that. I completely removed my thermostat, undid the wiring, uh applied a new baseboard to fit the Nest thermostat hooked up the Nest thermostat and on first try, you know, it hooks up to the phone. Boom. Yeah. Clicked right in. I have full control via my phone to my thermostat, which I'm looking at right. I just, I felt like if I was not married, I, there's no way I would have been able to so, accomplish that. So you, zero so you, chance. So like, do YouTube this? Go ahead. Did you YouTube um, this? How to, how to, how to, how to, how to the, the, uh, set up no, Nest thermostat? I, I was, I, 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 like any, like any good husband does, mm. I read the instructions out of the box and it gave me enough to like get started. And then when I got to the wires, I'm like, well, this is a bit out of my purview. So I did go to YouTube and yeah, a guy had, a guy had, a guy had the great, um, a guy had the, the, the great tip of just take a picture of where they're connected, unconnect all of them, look at the picture and then reconnect it to the new piece that it connects to on your nest. So I was like, Oh, well, I'm not That's a handyman, but I know how to follow instructions, and it worked perfectly. So worked perfectly. Um, new, thir- new, new. I hope it's not 90 degrees family. in the house right now. No, 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 no. It's 75. <laughs> and if I want it to be any higher, any 75? lower, I ch- Matt, I'm telling you, in my, God, in my apartment. Sweating. No, 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 no. Well, I'm telling you, my old thermostat and the new one. It reads 75. It feels 72. It's okay. it, it's not ca- it's not calibrated. Like I'm I'm way too. I'm a 72 guy. I, you can even I'd sell me on 71. If I set yeah. this thing to 71 right now, I would have icicles coming out of my nose. So okay. I think we're I think we're improperly calibrated as a building. That's okay. Um, ra- rather than so are I'm you a little like are a, you on a higher floor? Uh, no, we're on floor number three. Not to okay, give you I was going to say, make sure on a higher but, floor, um, you know, heat rises. I heat rises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a scientist. That's science. Good, I, but, people um, forget that. But another another husband thing, you know, I, hey, I'm not going to fight it. 
I, I know, I know, I know, I know. Seventy-five feels right, so we're going to put it at seventy-five, babe. All right, guy, so guy is guy is just a veteran of the married life yeah. already. So we're, we're very so proud just, of you, Joseph. Just grown in many ways over the last uh, over the last ten days, and uh, really looking forward to fulfilling my husband duties and um, and, and you know coming up big when the, coming up big when the family needs me. Man. Yeah, uh, exactly. But, uh, but my Moose and Runes family needs me right now. And when we got to talk quickly about NCAA uh, football. I don't know if you call it that anymore. College football, college football. where the kids get paid. Yeah, I don't know. Um, no longer student athletes. Uh, different conversation, different day. But a couple quick thoughts there before we get into our NFL preview. We're going to go by division, Bears expectations. We're going to pick your Super Bowl matchup. We're going to give you a winner. And mm. an MVP pick that you're going to want to hear as well, especially for me, because I know I'm offering value. Uh, but let's let's go college first, Matt. Just I want to I want to basically ask you the simple question because this is all framed uh, within the, the the picture of a twelve team playoff now, which should come as early as twenty twenty four, more likely twenty twenty five, as yeah. late as twenty twenty six. Twelve team playoff. How many teams did you watch this week in college football, week one, that you said? That's a playoff team. And I know you got to play into form, but how many teams showed you enough to be excited about a 12-team playoff? That's a loaded question. My, my, number's, my number's five. I saw five teams that belong playing for anything of, of any sort of worth. I truly did. Alabama, Georgia, um, Notre Dame looked good enough to, to catch my eye against Ohio State. Ohio State. I know is going to be better than they were here in week one, but like it was, I I always say it time and again till we're blue in the face. It was bad football. I mean, to the last drop to last night against Clemson and Georgia tech. Awful. Uh, LSU and um, which we call it the barn burner LSU and Florida state wildly entertaining game, but it was pure distilled college football where like the drama was fueled by mistakes. You know, it wasn't the drama wasn't fueled by back and forth. Great football. It, I'm not going bad on college football here. It has its place. It was amazing to have, you know, the game back and in full force in week one and not this week zero tap dance that we did. Yeah. But man, man, we got we got some teaching to do between now and week 10, you know? Yeah, there was uh, especially week zero, but a lot, of, a lot in week one too. It's just, you don't see it as much in the pros because they're used to it and they've been doing it forever. But man, the defense and missed tackling are two things that suffer. I feel like a whole bunch in week one, there's a whole lot of that. Um, mm-hmm. I would say I probably saw six and a half teams worthy of a playoff bid. I would say okay. the four teams you mentioned, uh, I'm not going to include Clemson in that because that offense is not a playoff. No, it's not. It's, not, it's not. I understand. Give, give me Cade Kublick or whatever his name is. Just go with him next week. I, I he, and I think there's some deeper more, issues there. They, I know they were against the Georgia Tech twos, but they did have a little more juice when the kid came in. All I'm saying is they're going to be the first ever team, or they should be the first ever team to win 41 to 10 and drop like six spots in the rankings because yeah, like, they should. You know, I, I've talked about it with I've talked about it with Phil on, on our college football show over on Betsburgs. But like we, we Clemson had a chance after after Tony Elliott left to go take the head coaching job at Virginia to kind of do a little bit of a reset and kind of refresh their offense. Not that he did a bad job, but he took a head coaching job. Offense struggled last year. They had a chance to bring in a new outside voice, offensive coordinator, revolutionize a little bit, bring it up to speed. And they just went the opposite. They just kind of promoted yeah. from within. I think Dabo's still calling the plays. And that off, I, I think Dabo's a good CEO of a program. I don't think he's the guy that should be running your offense. And I think that was a, I think that was a big misstep in his decision-making to not, 
come in and revolutionize that offense a little bit, give it a breath of fresh air, give it a new look because that offense looked like same old, what the hell is going on Clemson offense from last year. Mm-hmm. But the four teams you mentioned, I think looked like playoff teams at Notre Dame's offense. I thought obviously struggled a little bit at times, but that was a first time quarterback, a brand new offensive line playing it without their senior captain and Jared Patterson going up against what looks to be a, very good Ohio State defense that got yeah. a lot better from last year. Yeah. And then I, I, this might be a little early. It might be a little bit premature. I thought both teams in the Florida-Utah game looked like they could be a potential playoff team. I thought I, Utah I was just, still looked very good. I was just scrolling good. the scores. Florida looked great. Bad about. Florida, Florida, Florida looked look great. And also, I, you know what Florida looked like? I don't know anything Florida about Michigan like... yet because they played Colorado State, but that offense at least looked really good. That's all I'll say about that. Yeah. That's my half a team. Go ahead. Who Florida, Florida looked, looked like? like Florida. Florida looked like – Florida finally, for the first time maybe in five years, looked like the fun and gun again. Yeah, they, they looked like they had their identity. I know the yeah. little – Frank, that little spin move throw went viral everywhere. But, like, if that's who they're going to be, like, get him moving, flood routes, deep balls, like, Florida's going to be up there. And I gave Utah as one of my playoff picks, as my kind of sleeper playoff pick yeah. before we uh, went off and got married. But that was a, that was not married. I did, too. Young Joe. I was a young Joe. He, Joe, he didn't I, have marriage as, think, a, as, a, as a reference point. I think that um, game so said a lot more about that. Florida than it did about Utah. I don't like I, I didn't so come too. away from that game saying, oh, Utah is not who we thought they were. I thought Utah played really well, pretty well. I thought they went into a really tough environment and played a very talented quarterback who played a fantastic game. Like that, that happens. I still think there's I, a pretty I darn good chance Utah runs the table and we see them at 11 and one with their only loss being at Florida by three points with the chance to win on the, at the you know last play of the game. And if Florida's the seventh, eighth ranked team in the nation, that loss looks better yeah. as time rolls on here. Utah's defense might not give up 29 points for the rest of the season. Not goodbye, but like that might be their high mm-hmm. watermark in a game. And um, I was surprised more by their offense. Like you said, their ability to hang around in a hostile environment like the yeah. Swamp. So, um, yeah, both of those teams did um, did gain a little favor in my eyes. Michigan, I'm not so, not sure how much you can take away, like you said, from a win over Colorado State. Yeah. Um, you have so many of these games, Oklahoma, UTEP. We don't know who Oklahoma is. We don't know who USC is or, or what Caleb no. Williams is going to look like when he's not playing against Rice. Um, we don't know what Miami is going to look like when it's not Bethune-Cookman. Um, so, I, again – all overreaction all week one, but like it was, um, they are, it was, they are who we thought they were situation in the sense that like the kids are going to make mistake. The kids are going to make mistakes in, in volumes here in week one. It's who can clean it up the quickest and the most effectively. And, you know, you lean on coaching in that, in that aspect. And I think that, uh, that what impressed me most about Notre Dame to go Notre Dame here for a moment yeah, was we are Notre Dame same thing. hostile environment against what's believed to be one of the juggernauts of the game that didn't appear to be where they're going to be just yet too. Like there's some growing pains happening right now with Ohio state, but by the end of the season, because of coaching, because of what Ryan day has done, because the standard they've set there, it's going to be a national title contender. Notre Dame. I don't know if the same could be said for them, but what definitely struck me about the Irish in week one was that it was not the usual beat before you run out of the tunnel mm-hmm. team. You know, that, that 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 was under Brian Kelly. You get into those moments under the lights on the road against an Ohio State, against a Clemson, against teams that, you know, you're an underdog and a 17 point underdog at that. They yeah. bought into that idea and maybe not bought into the number, but they bought into the idea that they were the underdog and they were coming in here to like try and make some noise. This was a Notre Dame team that went to the shoe and like got into a 
got into a fist fight and walked yeah. out fine. They didn't they led with two minutes they left got in the a, third quarter. They were right very there. Much a, it was very much an Adrian. I went to yeah. I went to distance <laughs> moment. Like you didn't win, but, but you, you, you traded blows and uh, you know, that that's how the movie ended in week one. But I think there's a lot, um, a lot to take away from that loss for Notre Dame. If we're going to try and build in some silver linings here. Yeah. I mean, I, I obviously watched pretty much every snap of the game and Ohio state yeah. took that lead. What was it like late in the, late in the first quarter, whenever it was um, Notre Dame came back out offensively, went three and out, didn't gain a yard on the drive. And it was like, that was where a Brian Kelly team in years past was, Oh no, here it goes again. And then Ohio state goes down and scores. Notre Dame's defense forced Ohio State to a three and out, got the ball back, went down and scored a touchdown, took the lead. Like that was it's a different mindset of a Notre Dame team. And quite honestly, the, the defense looked like a defense that belongs in a college football playoff, that belongs in that conversation. Mm-hmm. They gambled on a safety blitz, which didn't didn't work out. It, it, they, they rolled the dice, uh, came up snake eyes. That happens in football games. Their offense looked like exactly kind of what we thought it would an offense that didn't quite have the playmakers to keep up with Ohio state and Mm -hmm. Jim Knowles defensively very smartly just said, we're going to load the box and bring a bunch of pressure. We're not going to let you really run the football and going to dare you to beat us through the air. And Notre Dame couldn't really do that because they don't have the playmakers quite yet. Receivers just isn't there yet. Yeah. Yeah. And if you look at where their recruiting is, obviously they've had a couple hiccups here down the stretch. They're not the number one recruiting class in 2023 anymore, but they're still one. I think it's one four star recruit away from having a better recruiting class than Brian Kelly's ever had at Notre Dame. So like this, while uh, you would have loved to see them win this game, that would have been really cool. This is literally step one in Marcus Freeman's journey at Notre Dame. And it was already better than just about any step, any test Notre Dame's underwent on the road under Brian Kelly. You know, I think you hit on something very important right there. Look at it in terms of like just a linear timeline. And on that timeline, there is the transition, just like any school between head coach that was there for a decade and had success and new guy. And I don't know if there could be any more seamless of a transition in recruiting and with what they showed us through one week, even in on-field production, because like I saw a lot on Twitter of, oh, what does a Brian Kelly team do in that moment? A Brian Kelly wins that. Like, no, no he doesn't. I think, that, I, I, I think that the performance in that setting showed you that not only on the recruiting front, but on the football front, this is going to be a seamless transition. And if nothing else, the standard is going to remain the same, if not raised under Marcus Freeman. There was no drop off like you see no. from coach to coach in most places. And I know we have a one week sample size, but you make the point of recruiting here. We do a lot of commitments on our air on HQ with our partners at 24 seven sports. And I can't tell you how many. So you're doing a new Notre Dame on, one every week. How many kids put on that Notre Dame hat? Like just, like with an Alabama hat, a Clemson hat, uh, like any any hat you could think of, kids were picking up the Notre Dame hat this offseason. I was very impressed by what Marcus Freeman did on that front. So it may take some time and um, for this team and this program to ultimately get over the hump that they cannot, and that is not only making a college football playoff, but truly being competitive and winning once they're there. For them to get over that hump, I think the seeds are being laid, but it is going to take some time. Yeah. Uh, you talked about the new college football playoff. We don't have to get into that now. We can kind of get into that in the future when this becomes kind of more official, when we know it's going to happen. From a Notre Dame standpoint, I actually like that they went to 12 and they're going to do this format because I think it essentially, at least for the time being, for the next format, if they don't want to, they probably still don't have to join a conference. If they get the TV deal that they want yeah, from NBC, 
and they get I they believe get the rumor was 75 million from NBC or whatever a 75 million yeah. a year that's a little bit less they get from the Big Ten but there's no rev share and they keep all their money and that's probably with 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 uh, would be the power the fives get the top five seeds. It's it's the way they want to do it. And if, if it means they can't be in a, a top five seed in a college football playoff and earn a bye, that's fine. It just means they avoid a conference championship game and they probably play a, a twelve seed in a college football playoff, which is also fine with them. Uh, I, I think it's it's good for no, the Notre Dame doesn't want to join a conference crowd because I think it buys them five more years until they decide to change it again. Yeah, I, I got a lot of problems with the 12 team. And like you said, we won't fully get into it here. We'll get into like, that in the future when this gets, when it becomes I'm, official. I'm, I'm going to get into it. I'm going to okay. get into it. On my, okay, fine. On my, on my short list of issues is that right there. If Notre Dame is 12-0, and 0, they need to be the second, first, second, or third ranked team in the country, regardless of if they won a conference championship. They still might. They, 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 that, that's what I'm saying. It's like that needs yeah. to be a possibility. It needs to be, okay, Six uh, or five power five conferences and a six conference champion uh, automatic bids, and then you get the at large bids. But then you seed those teams accordingly to like how the committee sees it. The committee still yeah. needs to have control in some aspect of the ranking. My other uh, big issue with the uh, with the playoff and its its proposed format coming up here is you know not just the fact that there's not enough good football teams to fill out an interesting uh, a 12 team playoff because we'll watch it it's like pizza even when it's bad it's good yeah i don't like the idea of a wisconsin running back let's just say let's just re- let's just reverse course about 4 years and say i don't like the idea of jonathan taylor knowing he's not winning a national championship, but playing two more football games and running the ball 55 more times and catching the ball seven more times when it doesn't freaking matter. And I know that's not in the spirit of collegiate athletics, but we have lost the spirit of collegiate athletics, Matt. That is a fallacy. This is big business. These guys are making money and you're going to see guys sitting out playoff games because of the realization that I'm number 12. I'm not beating five and then beating one and then beating four and then winning a national title because I'm a running back who's trying to go in the end of the first round and have a future in the NFL. We're talking about road miles here. Not just with running backs, not just with receivers, but with defensive players, offensive linemen. If you're a three-year starter on a team that makes the playoff every single year, you're going to play maybe six or seven more games. Opportunity for injury, road miles, and your clock is ticking. I don't like it. Take me back to the BCS. Give me two teams. Who cares? Like, I just need, need for there to be some foresight, and there isn't, because they're going to change this 12-team format and then the long-term effects over five years are going to bear themselves out and you're going to see a lot of players with even shorter careers than they currently have and i understand only a fraction of these players are going on to play in the nfl but you could also make the argument that the the fraction that's on the fringe well their chance is getting cut too because they got more road miles because they're running down on kickoff busting heads and now i'm trying to be the eighth linebacker on the panthers but I, I don't have two wits about me and my legs are gone. Like, I, I just think it's a little too much. Uh, this is going to be a weird thing to say. I think it's a little too much football. At yeah. that juncture in these guys' career, I think it's a little too much football. I think we've seen that and the first kid, it will happen. The first kid that does when this happens, sit out a playoff game, will get absolutely roasted, be kind of crucified for it. But I think you'll kind of see that become, I don't want to say the norm, but somewhat kind of like we're seeing it now where it's not really surprising when you see people sit out. Um, 
I, we, you talked about the spirit of college football. And I, I think now that kids are getting paid and there are, there is NIL, the expectations kind of come with that. And that's kind of your choice as a college football player. If you're going to take the money and you like, if you're uh, obviously there's money to be made in the pros, but if you're whoever, whichever running back for Wisconsin and you're getting paid a, a big NIL deal, big NIL money, mm-hmm. that might actually be more than you're earning on your first NFL contract. So I think by mm-hmm. like to like fuck, with the Tennessee five-star quarterback who committed, whatever, I, I forget his name. He's getting paid $8 million by Tennessee. Like that's not more than you make your first NFL contract. But if you fulfill that, you literally have life-changing money already. And obviously not everybody's making $8 million. It's just a, it's just a some, short-term, it it's is. Just a short-term approach. It, everything it, that the college football is, that the college football is doing is a short-term approach from the fact that they did not regulate NIL before they opened the floodgates. Now you're thinking about, Hey, take that eight million because who knows what the future holds it's it's the same idea not to tie it into live golf but like it's guaranteed short-term gains with the long-term and legacy putting putting your long-term and your legacy squarely into the crosshairs and and i know it's kind of a stretch to connect the two but like okay take your eight million dollars so you can do the heating and cooling commercial in knoxville tennessee but you better put that money in the bank because mm-hmm. like I, I I'm all for the players getting their money. I don't want to sound like I'm not, but like there has to be some sort of focus on the football. There has to be some sort of focus on what is best for these kids. And and that's never been the focus of the NCAA and you can change the format. You can open the NIL floodgates. It's still going to be predatory. It is still going to be, um, What's the word I'm looking for? They're still going to be taking advantage of the players in some way or another. And, well, that's, and yeah, that's biz- been the case forever. And the, the business side, the organizational side is always going to be two steps in front of an 18 year old and his family. It, it's just the way it's going to be. We've gone far too big picture here on the playoff, but like, I just think that it's sort of, again, I use this analogy all the time because it's so applicable in a lot of things when decisions mm-hmm. are being made. It is the damn scene in Vegas vacation. Chevy Chase chews the gum, mm, puts it on the hole where the leak is, and the leak comes out the other side. He chews more gum, puts it on it. We're just chewing gum right now. The NCAA is just chewing gum, trying to plug holes, and you're going to see a lot more holes open up over the next 10 years because of the long-term effects of a 12-team playoff is all that I'm saying. No one's so, looking at that. So I do agree with you, and I think that this seems like it was a little bit rushed because remember, I think it was after last year, didn't they meet and you know discuss lengthening the playoffs and that got shut down pretty quickly. And if they said no, and so, we weren't going to uh, revote until 2025. And then so apparently I, now I could be wrong. I thought I heard Pete Thamel, the ESPN insider talking about this, where he said that was, th- this decision was kind of a, the, the original one was conference commissioners talking about it. And that was mm-hmm. kind of their, you know, what the, the decision they made because essentially, hey, we don't want to act too fast. We still have beers on this deal. Let's kind of map this out and do it the right way. And then apparently the meeting to that they held, you know, whatever it is a week ago that they came to this conclusion was university presidents that, you know, saw the dollar signs light up and it, yeah, it was kind of their decision. So it, it just comes back to kind of what you're saying where I, I think the conference commissioners actually do have the right ideas in mind. Whereas university presidents and, pre- and the people that profit off college football most were yeah. just like, oh, no, we can make more money from this. I think 12 teams is too many. I think eight to six was was the right amount. I am in a little bit. I, agree I, I am you. in favor of an expanded playoff. I don't think four was quite enough because I don't want to say it made it boring, but like 
I would like to see certain teams get a chance against Alabama or Georgia because they're going to lose that game nine times out of 10, but the one time maybe they win it, create some excitement, whatever we can get into that another time. Um, yeah. I'm not saying, I'm not saying this is forever. And I'm, and I know we only have one game of the sample size, but I mean, let's take last year's, uh, let's take last year's offering into account as well. You don't need any more than two right now in college football. It is Alabama. It is Georgia. It is everybody else. That is, that's the current state of college football. And I think that the birth between Georgia or Alabama, whoever you, whoever you have as your number two, I think the birth between them and the number three team in the country is the Grand Canyon right now. I can't, I'm not saying that, that that canyon can't close. But right now, you need two teams in one game to tell you who's the best in the country. I agree I don't think with that. Full, I don't think you need a full season to figure it out either. I agree with that. But if you keep it at two teams, or if you keep it at four teams, I think it's more likely to stay that way and never change. Obviously, as long as Nick to, Nick Saban's at Alabama and Kirby Smart's at Georgia, those two teams are going to be the the class of college football. But if you open up the playoffs to eight, or I guess what it's looking right like is twelve teams. The this combined with NIL, you can be a Penn State, you can be a Miami, you could be a LS, and LSU has no problem recruiting. You'd be a Florida and legitimately match offers financially and legitimately pitch the idea of you'll get a chance to play in a college football playoff, which in the short term, not going to do much to, to get by Alabama and Georgia because it's going to take a little while to do that. And I don't think anybody's really all that close, maybe outside of an Ohio State year you know, in, on given years. But I think for the long term, for the long-term parity of college football, I think this helps because I think it opens up you know, recruiting a little bit more. There's not just two I, teams that can say you have a chance to win that, or three teams, I should say that say you have I get a chance it. to win that. I, I get what you're saying. I don't. I don't buy that at all. Like I, I heard Joe Klatt make that same point yesterday or the day before on his show, and I just don't. I don't believe that to be true. Like you could tell me that who was who finished the year. I think Baylor was number twelve at the end of the year last year. Yeah. Um, so, like, let's say you're Baylor and you're recruiting a kid who's choosing between the top 12 teams in the country. You could say to him, hey, kid, you're going to have a chance to play in the college football playoff. You're still wearing a Baylor jersey. You're still number 12 in the country. Who cares whether the bowl says, oh, you have an opportunity to play number five and then number one, or if they say you're going to get an awesome swag bag at the pinstripe bowl or whatever 12, wherever they went, the sugar bowl or whatever it is. It's It's – it's a moot point. Like, I'm not saying you have no chance, but get into the lion's den with the lion and you have no chance. I'm saying that if you put Baylor on the field with Alabama a hundred times, you're going to watch Alabama win that football game 99 times. Like, I, I'm just saying it, it's not that big of a recruiting tool because these kids know what's what as well. Their families know that I'm going to, ba- I'm going to Baylor. I'm taking this offer to the number 12 team in the country. That does not the, – the possibility of getting my teeth be, beat in at the college football playoff is no more alluring than the possibility of playing a decent team in the Sugar Bowl and, or playing a decent team in the Chick-fil-A Bowl. Like, you're still the 12th team in the country. It's just where they put me and why. So I, I don't really buy that recruiting tool – all that much either. I do get where you're coming from. I guess we're just kind of agreeing to disagree on this one because I think if I'm a four-star wide receiver that is getting recruited by Alabama that knows I'm not going to play until, you know, probably late sophomore, maybe junior year is when I'll start to get my chance. Whereas 
Baylor or whoever was number 10 last year and made the college football playoff and I have a chance to start as a freshman that I could play three years, get college football playoff exposure. Yeah, but you just made my point for me. You just made my point for me because Alabama has been doing that for a decade. You bring in the running back. You're sitting for a year. You're sitting for two years and you're coming in behind Trent Richardson. You're sitting for a year. You're sitting for two years. You're coming in behind uh, TJ Yeldon. You're sitting for a year. You're coming in, you're playing, you play your sophomore, your junior, your senior year. You're going to sit, you're going to learn. I'm Nick Saban. Do you want to win championships? Do you want to be a part of a culture? Do you want to play in the NFL? You come here. That's what recruits them. Championships and the possibility of playing at the next level. Nobody offers that more than Alabama. You can I, the format 15 different ways. It's still going to be the I truth. completely if, if agree that receiver, with that. I'm not that disagreeing with that. that. They are the future of the game. They don't go to number 12 so they can play in a playoff and get beat by number one. They go to number one. They sit, they learn, they play, they succeed, they make money. I agree with that. That's what's being sold at Alabama, and there is no more proven route to the NFL than that right now. They're still going to recruit the best of the best. They're still going to get the most five stars and the most high-end talent. I think it's just where you'll see some of those depth guys where – when Jackson Smith and Jigba and whoever number two was for Ohio state, I can't remember his name was a stud came in and filled in, had a million catches that guy, maybe instead of going to Ohio state or Alabama or Georgia to be Jackson Smith and Jigba's backup, you know, the, the backup at X is at Baylor starting at X as a freshman. That's what I'm saying where I think the difference might come in. I think it's a good thing long-term for recruiting. I still think Nick Saban and Kirby smart will be the Kings of college football and be running it as long as they want to. I just think you see, it's not Alabama and Georgia coming back to the pack because that's never going to happen. I think you see that middle tier have a little bit more of an influx of talent because they have that next level, uh, that, that next level of four star talent. While they're still not getting the five stars, I think you see them get that. I get what you're saying. Those, those guys kind of get the next level. Where are they beating Alabama and Georgia consistently? No, but they have some higher end talent that at least gives them a chance one out of every 20 times they play them, which again, you're still going to see Bama. You're still going to see Georgia in the national championship most years, but I think this brings it ever so slightly closer. And I'm also hearing the argument of, well, you know, Michigan, Ohio state last year would have meant nothing in this current playoff format. One that's bullshit. It's still Michigan, Ohio state. These rivalry games meant a lot before playoff games. And you know, Mm -hmm. they're going to continue to mean more when one team could be five and five, the other could be 11 and oh, and two, my counter to that is, like Penn state, Michigan state towards the end of the year, or I don't know, Miami, Florida state, if they ever both get good, whatever those rivalries where you have number 10 playing number seven actually start to mean something as opposed to this is just a fun game with two teams competing for a sugar bowl. But I think it actually makes those next tier games mean a whole lot more. And and I'll, I'll raise my hand here, Matt. It might go far smoother and it might, Bring us a better product than I am foreseeing. I just I have totally weird, agree with your NFL argument. I just have with, this with the kids playing a lot more. I just football. have a I weird digress. feeling that the ball is rolling downhill very fast and it's rolling the wrong direction right now on multiple fronts. Like you got to get the transfer portal intact. You got to you got to put some sort of like if you watched Week One here and looked at the number of quarterbacks and other it's like players seventy that quarterbacks were, or something changed. Just, it was it's something like ridiculous. it's like sixty something sixty something percent of starters this year were not on that roster last year. I, I just don't think that's the way. I, I really I, don't. I agree with um, you. I, I, I think college football is going down a weird path that I'm not necessarily certain I like. Um, but I don't think 
the playoff, the expanded playoff is towards the bottom of my list of concerns. I, I don't I think I, I think agree. too many. I would agree. With I think you there's on. other things wrong with that. college football before that. So we get to the pros. We, we said we said we, we weren't, weren't, we weren't going to do this. We weren't going to we dive it. All, that's what, we, that's all what, that what I'm asking. All that I'm asking college football is to not put my favorite product in the world of sports in jeopardy. And that is NFL football coming your way this Thursday. Mm. What could be a bookend matchup? Very much could be a bookend matchup. We're going to get the Bills. We're going to get the Rams as our first game of the season. Could very well be our last game of the season in Arizona. But as we know, what we think is not to be thought. It is not true. So that's likely not to be the matchup. But that is you, our Thursday night matchup. You said think season. way too many times. There are too many variations. I did think, so, thought. Yeah. I just was just like a lot of tense. Thanks, I'm, I'm 10. I, I don't know if you could sense. I'm tense. I'm a, da- I'm, I'm a dad now. I'm a husband. You're not. I'm a husband now. I don't I mean, think you're a dad yet. Not yet, not yet. Please, not yet. Um, I'm I'm a husband now, so that that tension, that tension is just built within me. Um, but so many storylines in week one here, Matt. I mean, you got six divisional matchups. You've got a handful of quarterbacks going back to play their former teams. I mean, that includes Baker. That includes possibly Flacco playing the Ra- uh, Ravens. That includes Russ uh, going to face the 12s in Seattle. Like so many amazing storylines. It's going to be a blast to watch. It's going to be hopefully a sharp product out of the gate because these are professionals, damn it. But let's talk about divisions because there's some very interesting divisional races and year after year, somebody surprises us. I want to see who's going to be your surprise. So we're going to whip it around the divisions. We're going to talk a little bit about each scenario and who we think is going to come out of it. Let's start on the AFC side of things. Out east, you got Buffalo, Miami, New England, New York. Uh, Buffalo, odds-on favorite at short plus money. Miami and New England right in that four-and-a-half to one range. Um, Matt, I think it's pretty plain to see that Buffalo's head and shoulders better than everybody else here, but interesting conversation to be had around a possible wild-card team in number two and three uh, between Miami and New England. I don't think New England's going to be very good at all. I think Miami is going to be good if they're quarterback and keep it on the rails, but obviously Buffalo's my pick here. You have to pick Buffalo. There's no other pick here. Uh, it's it's weird that this is a boring – I don't want to say it's a boring division, but Buffalo's kind of the boring team because I think they're going to run away with it. Not that Buffalo's going to be boring to watch, but there's just – they're such a known commodity. They're the best team in the AFC on paper. They're probably going to win the AFC. They're going to win this division easily. I'm really excited to see how the rest of this division unfolds because you talked about the Patriots briefly there saying you don't think they're going to be very good this year. I think I think they have a chance to be pretty pretty darn bad. I, I don't know what they're – Oh, yeah. I Bill thought you were going to say good. I was like, wait, no, what are you God, no. seeing? No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't like, – I don't want to be the guy that questions Bill Belichick. I think he's a fantastic football coach. Obviously, if not one of, if not the best coaches to ever do it. He seems like he's drinking his own Kool-Aid a little bit too much. And ever since Tom left, he's tried to do this whole I'm the smartest person in the room thing, which most of the time he probably is. But I think he's just getting a little overboard here, trying to, like, get a little bit too fancy and show off. This whole Matt Patricia, Joe Judge co-offensive coordinator thing, it, it's not going to work. They're not. They're both mm-hmm. two. They're defensive and a special teams coach. I guess Joe Judge kind of did some wide receivers, but who the hell is even calling the plays? Is it actually just going to be Bill calling the plays? I don't really believe in Mac Jones all that much. I, I thought he was just okay last year, and I thought Josh McDaniels did a really good job of scheming for him. They didn't really add a ton. I just I don't buy it with them. I, yeah, they like. Tight end hoarded last year, didn't address receiver this year. And to your point, they got of, like Devontae Parker, like, okay, he's fine, I guess. To your That's, point of Bill Belichick trying to like be the smartest guy in the room and prove he could do it with anybody, 
when you look at it and having a little bit of a sample size on Mac Jones here, he really drafted the second coming of Jimmy Garoppolo and said, I'm going to do it with the guy I said I'd do it with. It's almost like I'm going to prove you wrong. And that's just coaching from the wrong place. Kind of. Bill Belichick, like I said, best coach of all time, most likely. I think kind of as he gets to the latter half of his career, especially now that Tom won one away from him, he really wants to do it his way and show people he's, you know, he knows all. And I think he's just kind of at the point where he doesn't really know all anymore and he needs some help. He needs to do things. You know, he, he needs that quarterback. He just doesn't really have it. Really intrigued to see what Miami does this year, though. I, it's obviously a make or break year for Tua. I kind of thought that they should have cut bait with him and gone and got Jimmy Garoppolo. They didn't do that. Uh, it's it's going to be that. That's one of my most intriguing teams to watch all season because the ceiling is there. But man, we just I mean, have no idea where, what they're going to get from Tua. No idea. Small pros on the defensive side, stable of running backs, fastest receiver in the game, flanked by a guy who looked like he was emerging as a true one in Jalen Waddle. Um, offensive line, I think there's a couple question marks up front, but like uh, offensive genius calling the plays now. And Mike McDaniel's, we'll see if he can be a head coach. Um, like you said, it's, it's to a time it's on his yeah. shoulders. And if you don't prove it this year, well, our windows open right now, Pally, we got a trade. We got a draft. We got to do windows something. open. There's a whole lot of quarterback talent draft next year. And if I'm not mistaken, didn't they get, yeah, Steven Ross cost them a first round pick. One of their two first round picks next year. So even more pressure here on Tua. Um, to get the job done and prove that he is the guy and earn that second contract and, you know, do away with a lot of the doubt that has followed him throughout the first three years of his career here. Who are um, both, both said on Buffalo there, easy. Both, I, don't think, I don't think that there's an argument. Step. There might be an argument to be made in one of the more interesting divisions, uh, Baltimore, Cincinnati, mm. Cleveland, Pittsburgh. Cleveland thought they had something. Uh, their quarterback, say what you will about his off-field transgressions, uh, sickening the accusations and what um, uh, what he, what has been brought to his name, will miss the first 11 games. Uh, so you essentially got to throw Cleveland out with, uh, what is it, Jacoby Brissett uh, leading yeah. the way. No disrespect, but a nice stopgap, but never has been anything more than that. So you're looking at Pittsburgh with Trubisky under center. He was listed as number one Mitchell. on the depth chart. Um no. Going to be hilarious. Just going to be so good. I, so, Bryant McFadden has been one of our analysts my three years or my two seasons here with uh, with HQ. I'm leading our NFL coverage this year. It's going to be me and him, and I cannot wait to just put him over the fire every time Mitch overthrows somebody because that's what he did. And we've been together for three years now. That's what he did for the Mitch years with me uh, was give me a hard time. What well, goes Mitch. around, was, comes I, around. Exactly. I go, he's yours to answer for now, pal. Um, so that is my Pittsburgh Steelers angle. But, um, you know, Mike Tomlin has a certain floor and he's going to get something out of his team. Big Ben was not good the last couple seasons and they still were, what, an eight win, nine win? They're above play- five technically a playoff team last year. I yeah, mean, never, never been in, below. But- Never been below 500 under Mike Tomlin. This could be the year. Uh, they're not my pick. But I think it's a two-horse race here in Cincinnati. The AFC champs uh, reigning, that is. Um, everybody expects a regression. And Baltimore, who was snake-bitten last year by injury, everybody expects them to come back to the level that they're expected to be at. Which one of those two truths do you hold near to you? Like, which one do you believe in? Do you think that Baltimore comes back with a force? Do you think that since he regresses, do you think kind of a mixture of the two? What do you think in the North? I kind of like Baltimore here. I, I think since he is due for a regression, not I, I think after last year, it's going to be hard for them not to have a slight regression. I still think they're a very talented team. I think Burrow and Chase is going to be one of the best connections in football for a long time. But they got a first place schedule this year. It's it's going to be 
it's an uphill battle for them. And I still like, I know everything went well last year. I still not totally sure I buy Zach Taylor as a head coach. And obviously he bought himself a whole bunch of time with last year, but I just trust Baltimore a lot more. Um, I mean, they, they had all those injuries last year and still kind of found themselves in the race towards the end of the year. I do like Pittsburgh to be a contending wild card team because I think Mitch actually gives them more than what Ben Roethlisberger gave them the last couple of years. And I'm actually mm-hmm. excited to see what Mitch can do with, you know, a coaching staff that actually will coach to his strengths. Um, that's neither here nor there though. Um, but Baltimore, it's Baltimore for, I won't do it, but it's well, <laughs> We're going to get into it when we talk about the bears, but it's Baltimore for me. It has to be. Um, I, I think they're after all the injuries last year, provided they can get those guys healthy and stay healthy. Um, Lamar is playing with something to prove with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. We can get into whether or not you'd want to pay him and what you'd want to pay him. But I think Baltimore is too talented. I think they're one of, if not the best coach teams in football. I think that's their division. You know, I agree with most all of what you're saying there. I just, there's a couple things that we don't look at when we talk about these two teams for Cincinnati. For me, it's the defense. They had a nasty defense last year. And I think they're going to, again, this year, you know, we mm-hmm. focus on Burrow. We focus on chase. We focus on Higgins. We focus on all the offensive firepower. They're going to be complimented by one of the better defenses in the league this year. And for Baltimore, it's not talking about the fact that they traded away Hollywood Brown, who, while he struggled early on, I believe did have his first thousand yard season last year. They were just starting to kind of get into a groove, him and Lamar. Um, you have Lamar with the contract talks looming and he's his own agent. So while that might not be at the front of his mind, it surely is going to be in the back of it while he performs this year. Um, you have a thin wide receiving core, as I said, um, great running game, great coach, great offensive line should be another very good defense. I believe in them, but I think just from a value standpoint, I'm going with Cincy again to win. If we're talking value, straight up value, there's a lot of value on the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm looking at FanDuel right now. They're plus 950. Do I think they're the best team in the division? Absolutely not. But I think that that is a team that is hovering around 500 every year, steals a game or two they don't deserve every year, and have a quarterback that, while he's not very good, is not really bad either. And I think Mike mm-hmm. Tomlin can kind of use in a way that he got used to using Ben the last couple of years and probably get a little bit more out of him. That's still a really talented football team with one of the best defensive players in football on their roster in TJ Watt. They have Minka Fitzpatrick in the secondary is really good. Like, I don't get them being plus 950. I just don't understand that. No, like I, I think I think eleven to one at Pittsburgh and four and a half to one on Cleveland just just doesn't make any sense to me. Like I like I don't I, I agree with you. Like from a value standpoint, if you want to take a flyer, eleven to one's beautiful on the Steelers. I like Cincy at short plus money. Um, yeah, Baltimore obviously the favorite there at plus one thirty. Let's keep it rolling through the AFC and uh, to what could be and I believe to be the most competitive division in football, the AFC West, uh, Denver, KC, Las Vegas, and the LA Chargers. Um, Matt, I have a pick here on the division, and I've been sort of shouting it from the mountaintops for the last few weeks on air. Um, I'm going to let you go first here because I doubt you're picking who I'm picking. I'm going to take the Chargers. Um, I really like what they did defensively. It it seems like Khalil Mack is a little bit more rejuvenated there. And I, I obviously Joey Bosa, it's Joey Bosa is the charge. I always confuse the Bosa. Nick Bosa is San Francisco. They, they both need to stay healthy, but if they can both be healthy, the pressure that gets taken off of both of them 
is massive. And if one of them is down, they should still have a, you know, an all pro defensive end on the other side. I really like what they did in the JC Jackson addition to their secondary. I love it. Doesn't get talked about because Khalil Mack was the big trade, but JC Jackson is going to make their secondary a whole lot better. Um, I like what they do. I, I like what they're going to do offensively. I think Justin Herbert's going to take another step forward. I think their offensive line is solid. I really like the upgrades they made defensively. I think it gives them in in that division where you need to play some defense, you're going to need to get to the quarterback and you're going to need to do your best to slow down some passing attacks. I like what the Chargers have done in the offseason the most. You know, you could make a case for and against all of these teams and that to blend easily. It's not close. any division, but I think the no, this one especially. West sort of amplifies it. Like you could make the case that Denver adds what they believe to be their franchise quarterback. Everything's going to be great. They're going to be a 12 win team. You could make the case that LA has an MVP quarterback added the pieces on defense. They're going to be great. You can make the case that Kansas city is Kansas city. And the standard in that room is double digit wins. We go to the playoffs. We make noise. I'm big red Vegas. You can make the case that they have one of the most underappreciated quarterbacks just added the best receiver in the game. Defensively, they fly around new head coach, new air in the room. You can make the case for, or you can make the case against. Kansas City loses their best wide receiver. We'll see if they show up at halftime every game, and that's too much for them to overcome. L.A., you could make the case that maybe their coach goes for it on one too many fourth downs. It costs them two wins that cost them a playoff berth. You could make the case for Denver that, yeah, they had everything in place, but they also did just add a quarterback who had his worst season of his career. He's coming off a hand injury, and we're just assuming is going to be who he was three years ago. You can make the case that Las Vegas has a little bit too much going on, a little bit too much descent. They've overcome so much attrition, and is that going to finally catch up with them? So case for, case against, I like the long shot. Give me Vegas to win the division. I think that Carr is so underappreciated. I don't think that we're valuing the addition of Devontae Adams quite enough. I, I just think that with how wide open it is, Las Vegas is the team that's been through the fire recently that's come back from it. Um, what they went through last year, um, you got a, an all-pro pass rusher now in Max Crosby. Like, I see a lot of the pieces coming together. I might be a year early, but I think Vegas gets in a lot of close games, and I think they win a lot of those games. I like them at 6-1 to one to win the division. I, I'm not going to tell you that's a bad pick either. I like it. Uh, I think they're going to have a very good year. Didn't they add Chandler Jones too? Was added that Chandler Jones as well. They're, um, they're going to have a really good pass rush. I think Devontae Adams and Derek Carr are going to be fantastic together. Um, I, it's you hit it right on the head. Like I think the Chargers are going to win this division, but no result would would surprise me. No, but not yeah. one of those four teams winning that division, and you saying everything went right for them, or the things that went right for them, or what you thought they were, I, I wouldn't be surprised. And that's this division. It's being said by everybody, but this division is going to be awesome to watch because everybody is good enough to win this division. And unfortunately, you're probably going to have a really good football team finish eight and nine and miss the playoffs because they just got beat up a little bit in some close games by a really, really good division. It's kind of like, do you want to, do you want to make the case for a team fine? But like, if you want to boil it down and just sort of when it's, when it's unsure, you do two things. You pick the team that has the least amount of question marks and you pick the best quarterback. And that would obviously take us to Kansas city. So I think that's the likely outcome here, but, um, very much in anything can happen in my eyes division. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch um, week in and week out. Those teams sort of cannibalize one another for lack of a better term here, Matt. Uh, let's keep it rolling to our final AFC division. And that's the South. Um, 
I think if there is a mirror image, and by mirror image, I mean the complete opposite of the <laughs> AFC West, it's the South for me. Uh, Houston, Indy, Jacksonville, Tennessee. Indy's my pick by default. I think, again, two-horse race here between Indy and Tennessee. I think Tennessee is due for a big-time aggression. They've sort of topped out um, their talent level. I think aging running back coming off a foot injury. I think quarterback who's really never had it. I think offensive line that has a lot of question marks. Um, I think linebacker that went down. I just don't think it's there. Jacksonville's hoping to take steps forward here. Travis Etienne will get a first look at. Um, they sort of have to re-download the software into Trevor Lawrence, so that's going to be a growing process. Uh, we could glow about Davis Mills in Houston, but that's about I'd rather it. Not. So I think I think just by I think just by default, Matty Ice, uh, Indy, their running game uh, takes a big step forward. I think. You know, I'm just going to raise my hand here and make sort of a bold-ish prediction here. Not that Indy's going to win it, but I think you see a lot of Naheem Hines this year. I think they look at Jonathan Taylor, what he did last year from a record-breaking standpoint. I don't think, again, road miles. I don't think they want to just blow everything in one or two years of this kid's career. I think they want to have a feature back for six, seven years. And for that to be the case... I think Naheem Hines, if you're looking for your fantasy roster, is a nice handcuff there, not due to injury, just from a workload standpoint. I think you see more Hines this year. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I, I think they do need to – running backs tend to die out – not die out, but flame out a little bit more quickly than, than any other position in football. If they want to protect that asset, you really have to develop that 2-3 running back system. Uh, with Yon Indy, um, I, I think it's their – the addition of Matt – It's the addition of Matt Ryan for me, he's going to be more consistent than Carson Wentz. He's going to be better than Carson Wentz with that offensive line in front of him. Interested to see the steps Jacksonville takes forward though this year, if any. I I don't think Doug Peterson's yeah, the best coach in the world, but like I think he's a pretty good coach for this group for the first couple of years until they kind of tune him out, similar to what happened in Philly. But I think early on with this young group, I think he's going to be a coach for them. I think they got actually a pretty good chance to finish second place in that division. I'm with you on Tennessee. I don't buy Tannehill. I never have. They got rid of his best target in AJ Brown. Derrick Henry is awesome as he is, is aging running back on a, on a bad foot. Um, I like Indy and I like Jacksonville to have some, have some fun games in that division, not really compete in the division, but kind of hang around for half the season and then flame out a little bit. You know, I, one of the really fun things about uh, this joke of a job that I have or this, this, ridiculous way that I've decided to make a living is that you get to shake these guys' hands. You get to look them in the eyes. You get to assess the people and not just like the, the product we're seeing every Sunday on television. And uh, I got to sit down with Doug Peterson and ask him some questions at the combine. Um, and I know we're a long way removed from whatever that was, March, um, early March, whatever it was. Um, mm-hmm. But it was a couple weeks after he had been announced and the look on his face told me how much work there was to be done. And I think he's very, I think he's exceedingly capable of getting that job done. But when you're trying to turn a cruise ship around, you can't really stop on a dime. It's going to take you a few miles to get that thing turned around. And I think that there's a big turn that Doug Peterson is in charge of making right now in Jacksonville. That's, that's a fair point. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see, how he starts making that turn, the, the progressions that we see from Trevor Lawrence and then get to see Travis Etienne and James Robinson coming back. But there is a lot to be done there. You're right. 
All right, cue the NFL on Fox uh, music because we got to take it to the NFC side of the conversation, which we know uh, is a little closer to our hearts, having grown mm. up in the North. Let's let's just let's talk North. Let's get it out of the way. I, I don't really want to go too bear specific here. I have them right on their win number. I think that Fields takes a step forward. I think that the secondary looks great, but they're lacking a pass rush, so the secondary might not look as good as they actually are because they're having to cover for a day and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, I think having Roquan out there playing is good that we can just kind of deal with that issue at a later date. Um, I think that David Montgomery is going to continue to be a top five back in the league. I think the receiving core is going to be better than people are going to give them credit for as we head into the season. That's my Bears take from a NFC North conversation. Minnesota is my pick. Uh, we keep just giving Green Bay the benefit of the doubt because the two-time MVP is going to do what he does. I believe he does that again, but I think Minnesota's roster is nasty. Um, some questions up front of the offensive line, but you have what can be what could be considered the best receiver in the game, what could be considered one of the best running backs in the game, what could be considered the best number two receiver in the game, maybe, and Adam Thielen. Adam Thielen. You got a you got a solid tight end. You got all the pieces around Kirk Cousins that you could ever ask for. Can he go do it? He is the limiting factor to this team, and we'll see if he can go get the job done. I just think from a roster standpoint, from an odd standpoint, give me Minnesota. It's the better team between them and Green Bay this year. Yeah, and I think you have a coach that's going to put that team in that roster. That offense, offensively that offense in a, should hum a little better. Yeah, you're going to have a coach that's going to allow that offense to do what it needs to do to reach that potential and not, you know, tie it and hold it down and force it to run the ball all the time, 30 times a game. And, you know, we talk about miles on a running back, limit some of those miles on Dalvin cook. So I think you're big. It's all going to, you know, stem on Kirk cousins and, and be on his shoulders. And if he can max, if they can maximize him, I think Minnesota's got that division. Uh, you're coming off. Obviously it's not Sean McVay, but it's Kevin McConnell who coached under Sean McVay and not, Matthew Stafford is better than Kirk Cousins. He always was, but Matthew Stafford wasn't an elite quarterback in the NFL. And you saw him go to a system like this with talent around him and look at him flourish. I, I don't think Minnesota is winning the Super Bowl, but I think you'll see Kirk Cousins take steps forward because he's got an offensive staff around him and I got an offensive game plan around him that's going to be willing to maximize what he does best and what that offense can do best as opposed to doing what your old school defensive minded head coach wants you to do. I got you. Um, I think a lot of what we're doing here is just like refusing to talk about how Aaron Rodgers is going to make another group of freaking male men look like all pros. I don't I think really he's think, going I think, to because I think like, he's going to be think good. Alan Lazard, I think Alan Lazard is going to be really good. I think uh, here's here's a late round pickup in your fantasy league that uh, was it, Kayshawn Boutte. Uh, no, no, no. That's a no, kid he, from LSU. He's, he's on LSU um, right now. Stop, 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 stop. Um, oh, I, I don't remember his first name, but it's the guy Rogers was talking about in camp, right? Not Joshua. But yeah, Dobbs. I think that if he identifies the kid and says, that's going to be my guy I make look like Randall Cobb, then there's a nice little piece for you. I think Dobbs has a season. It's just, it's 12. He's going to demand that guys put themselves in the right position. And if you don't, get out. You heard him say it already. And... The only thing that's going to hold this team back is if there aren't professionals on that roster capable of doing that. And that's a very low barrier to entry when you're talking about being a professional receiver. Know your assignment. Know your alignment. I'm going to throw the ball where it needs to be. Like it's, He's not asking you to run uh, Jerry Rice-esque routes. He's, not ask, he's, he's asking you to be in the right place at the right time, and I will throw you open. And you're going to see a lot of that this year. I yeah, think A.J. I, Dillon is a great piece, too. He's going to go mm-hmm. early in a lot of leagues. But check down, handoff – until I see the regression, he very much has my benefit of the doubt. 
I think Minnesota wins that division. I think it's close. I think Green Bears, Green Bay is right there with them. I think in the end, you're going to see some growing pains for these receivers and they're just be less talent than he's used to. Um, but mm-hmm. I also do think that now that Devonte Adams is one of, if not the best wide receiver in football, obviously he, Aaron, him and Aaron Rodgers were fantastic together. We saw in the playoff game last year, though, against San Francisco, like Rodgers looked at him and him only. And then when he wasn't there, he kind of panicked and really then just tried to force it more to Devontae, barely got anybody else involved. It was very, when everything breaks down, I'm just throwing to Devontae. I'm just looking at Devontae. I think this is actually going to help Rodgers kind of spread out the ball a little bit more and run the offense more so than just trying to make it him and Devontae versus the world. Oh, big, big, big zig when they zag. You know, I, Rudy saying, addition by subtraction. No, I, it, I'm not, I'm not I saying know. that. I still think I know, the I passing game is going to take a little bit of a hit. But it was good last year because Devontae Adams was also so good and he was able to go up and make a lot of catches. But at times, if you took him away, there wasn't really much. Rodgers wasn't really looking for much else. I think this is going to help the offense just open itself up a little bit more, be a little bit less one-dimensional. But I still think they're a very good football team. The defense should be really good this year. I think Minnesota wins that division in a, in a, game, in a race that kind of comes down to the wire. Um, as be, for the Bears. Could be, decided, could be decided by what we see on Sunday. Get Minnesota Green Bay right out the gate. Love that. I feel like they always start out the year together, whether it's week one or week two. Oh, God, I'm watching a replay of the Oregon-Georgia game, and Bo Nix just threw one of the worst interceptions I've ever seen. Bad um, feet. Terrible feet. Watch his feet. Bo Nix is gone. Are you watching the same thing on the SEC Network? No, I just oh, okay. I was just watching all, uh, this weekend, and he looked like he took the snap and was just dancing every down. Like, just like well, was not comfortable even in a clean pocket. Uh, this was, I don't know how you don't see this interception coming. It was clearly the, it was the worst decision I've ever seen. It sounded okay. like you were going into a bear thought. Back to the bears. No, I, I, I don't understand this I, national narrative that like <laughs> they're going to be the worst team in football and they're off. I agree. I think, go, we've, gone, like, I think makes, we've gone bad on them. It makes zero sense. <laughs> I, I don't get that. Are they going to be a playoff team? Very, 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 very unlikely. Um, but Justin Fields is taking a step forward and in the preseason from what you've seen, you at least have a, a coaching staff that's willing to do base their offense around what he does. Well, you have an offensive line that if you actually look at the offensive line and have watched them and you say they're worse than they were last year, or the year before you're just lying and you don't pay attention. This offensive line is going to be better. It, it, it has to be there. There's no way it's going to be worse than it was the last couple of years. They've taken some steps forward. Tevin Jenkins actually looks like a legitimate guard. Lucas Patrick is a very good center. Cody Whitehair is an all pro guard. Now that he's not playing center anymore. Can, and can yeah, I so, get a 30 second time out here? Sure. Like, I get it. Something's wrong. There's a reason he was released, but just like put the sheet of paper in front of me and I'll solve the problem because just got a first round Alabama tackle. Like, I, yeah, like those are my, those, cool. those are the best word. Those are my favorite things ever. Yeah. Alabama player at a key position, first rounder that we didn't have to spend a pick on that. We just got to pay the money for Like yeah. I, hopefully Alex Leatherwood can get it figured out. And if he can put him there for a decade, you know, yeah. like there was it, a reason, there's a reason that he was the guy holding the national championship trophy. Like, I think there's at the I, I very think we least got something. at the very least if he doesn't work out as a tackle, you could see him in a Tevin Jenkins situation where maybe he does transition he into a guard at some point. Cody Whitehair's contract's going to come up, and you're not going to pay him again. Like he might become your swing guard, he might become your 
yeah. guy who plays every position on the line that isn't center when, you know, someone's hurt every week, because that does happen in the, in the NFL offensive line and miss games. And he could be kind of your swing guy who plays all four positions that outside of center. Um, so I think that's a great pickup. And I think they did a great job on the waiver wire. Just they identified some guys and they're throwing a whole bunch of stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Like that's what teams like this should be doing. Um, so I'm excited to see what the bears have this year. They're, they're not going to be a playoff team, but they're going to be a team that, should be a little bit more exciting and should be more competent from a coaching and playing standpoint. And that's, that's all I'll say about the coaching staff. I won't get into the other guy. Beautiful. I like those bears thoughts. Yeah. Uh, Matt, let's go to, let's try, and, uh, let's try and find an answer to the question with no answer. NFC East, Dallas, mm. New York, Philly, Washington, again, appears to be a two team race, Philadelphia and Dallas, Dallas, I think, marginally has the better roster than Philadelphia, but Philadelphia might've had the best off season of anybody in the NFL. They, they changed my opinion of this team in March and April. Um, they go out, they get Jordan Davis to stand next to Fletcher Cox on the interior. Who's going to run against those two. That's, that's a, that, who's going to run against that. They pick up Nicobe Dean super late. Cause he slid, thought he was going to be early. Wasn't, he's now an Eagle. They get AJ Brown. Um, and it didn't cost them like the world. I mean, it, they, they had to pay, they had to break out the checkbook, but AJ Brown is a wide receiver one. Hopefully that'll unlock Devonte Smith a little bit. Um, they're going to have a, a run game. They're going to do all the things that we believe the Eagles can do. And I believe, I, I don't know. I, I may just be talking myself into it, but I believe in Jalen Hurts. I saw a statistic that he is the only quarterback in NFL history through 20 starts to have 4,000 passing yards and 1,000 rushing yards. The decision-making might be questionable, but he popped last year. He had a couple like terrible opening drives followed by three great quarters of football. Like I, I'm, I'm very much – I'm very much in the Justin Fields place with Jalen Hurts, not just because they kind of play that similar mm-hmm. um, pass-first but run-ability football, but because they both have such high ceilings, and I still sort of keep one eye squinted at them. Like, I want both of them to be great. Obviously, I want Justin Fields to be great, but I want Jalen Hurts to be great too because of his journey. I mean, because of him getting – pushed out and still becoming an NFL quarterback and maybe becoming the better NFL quarterback in respect to the guy we got pushed out by. Like I just, I, I root for Jalen hurts. And I think that again, quarterback is going to determine your success. I think he takes a step forward. I think Philly wins the division. Yeah. I'm with you on Philly, uh, especially with the, the saints safety. They picked up Gardner Johnson. That's the last name that mm-hmm. they did. That, that really was the Quincy Gardner Johnson. It wasn't the, the, Total turning point for me. I thought they had a fantastic offseason. Then they went out and made that move, and I thought they really shirt up the secondary. I, I don't buy into Dallas this year. I don't think they got better. I think they took a step back. Um, they uh, they had to get rid of Amari Cooper, and then you have Jerry Jones saying the offense still runs through Zeke, and Mike McCarthy does whatever Jerry Jones tells him to and is still an old-school coach that probably is going to try and do that. I, I think Dallas's feet are stuck in the mud a little bit. I love Philly. I'm not as high on Jalen Hurts as you are, but I'm still high. I, I still like him as a quarterback. I think he's more than good enough to win this division and win a playoff game. And once you get there, if you if things break the right way, anything can happen. I think uh, I'm very high on what Philly did this offseason. I think the A.J. Brown move put them ahead of Dallas closely. And then the rest of the offseason, the addition they just made last week, I really like them. I think this is their division. I just, I'm out on Dallas for right now. I don't buy into them. 
Yeah, it sort of just like proved me wrong. I, yeah. I, oh, again, Dallas, by I've the way, starting million... left tackle Jason Peters. So <laughs> do with that what you will. I love how they pulled like all the old sound bites of him, like trash talking him as an eagle too. So, yeah. Um, yeah, he's a million years old. Uh, God bless you. Probably gonna have a gold jacket, but like he will. That's your starting left tackle. You're you got some issues. Yeah. Uh, speaking of issues, NFC South, Atlanta, Carolina, New Orleans, Tampa. I mean. It's, it's by default, by default, Tampa. Um, but you're also talking about an offensive line that uh, lost its two biggest pieces in Justin yeah. Werps and uh, uh, the center Jensen, uh, uh, Ryan, Jensen. Ryan Jensen. They also lost uh, Ali Marpet to retirement. retirement. So, like a lot of new guys out in front of Tom who missed a week and a half of training camp for personal reasons. And you got playoff Lenny, who we know always takes a little while to get going. Um, you got a starting wide receiver who's always got soft tissue issues, but is amazing when he's healthy. And Mike Evans, uh, Godwin coming off of a knee. Defensively, they should be sound again. But again, by default, Tampa, I'd take a look at New Orleans as a flyer as they get their pieces back. And Kamara, hopefully Michael Thomas. I believe in Jameis to a certain extent. Um, if you take a look at his sample size of his last seven starts last year, you wouldn't have guessed those numbers were Jameis Winston. They were sound. Uh, they weren't as explosive, but they also were not mistake-free, but closer to mistake-free than Jameis often mm-hmm. gives us. So New Orleans would be my flyer, but Tampa's my pick. It's got to be Tampa. I, my flyer would probably be Carolina simply for the value. I just think there's some value there at them at 10-1. to 1. Uh, They weren't a terrible team last year. They had a terrible quarterback. And I think while Baker's not a great quarterback, he's a significantly better than one better one than Sam Darnold because anyone is a significantly better one than Sam Darnold. Um, But really that's just, I mean, that's, that's draw. It's grasping at straws there. That's trying to find some value somewhere. I would rather roll a dice on the 10 to one pick there. I think they're still a pretty decently coached team. I don't, I don't think Matt Rule is a great coach, but I don't think he's a bad one either. I don't really know much about what Dennis Allen's going to bring to them. He was obviously at Denver and didn't work out there, and he's been the defensive coordinator with New Orleans. But how does everything operate there without Sean Payton? Is that offense as consistent? I don't really know. A lot of question marks there uh, in New Orleans still with the new head coach. And I know not totally new regime, but new regime. Um, but it's, it's Tampa's division to lose. They're probably going to be a team – like the Patriots had been at times where they struggle at points in the season, you're scratching your head, like what's going on there. And then by the end of the year, they're, they're clicking and firing on all cylinders. Uh, Matt, one final division to get to before we start talking real deal, Super Bowl matchups. And that is the NFC West also going to be very competitive. Um, San Francisco ushering in a new era with a new quarterback, uh, Seattle going to ride with Gino, but um, it's, you know, riding with Gino. Good luck. Uh, L.A. trying to do what nobody's done in a very long time and go back-to-back. Arizona without their top wide receiver for six weeks with a quarterback who might not be interested in working hard. I, I don't know. I mean, his maybe contracts don't say that. Contracts don't have work clauses in them. Hey, um, we all like Call of Duty, okay? But he got broken off, and God bless you. I'm never going to fault the guy for getting his money, but uh, – yeah, I think that it's going to come down to L.A. and San Francisco as it has in, in the last couple of recent years. And again, proven quarterback against unproven commodity. Is Jimmy G starting games by the end of the season? Is Trey Lance going to be great? It's too many question marks. So give me L.A. to go back to back in the division and um, we'll see how far they can make it. 
with uh, Matthew Stafford's elbow being the question mark there. But outside of that, I mean, everybody got paid. Everybody stayed pretty much outside of Vaughn and Odell. And mm-hmm. uh, I think they're, they're reloaded to go do it again. Yeah, I actually think – I know Odell left. I think they get better with the Allen Robinson, Robinson addition upgrade, because yeah. uh, as good as Odell was, he's he's still a very good player, but he's not the superstar he was with the Giants. I think Allen Robinson, let's let's be real, he put himself on a bit of a pitch count the last couple of years, last year especially. Um, he was in an offense without really a quarterback that didn't really know how to use him. We saw him early on in his Bears tenure, and that was a top 10, top 15 at worst receiver in the NFL. I think he maximizes the potential, and you have – you know, Cooper Cup, who's your uh, obviously one of the best receivers in football, but who's kind of like your slot guy, who's your route runner. And now you have this deep threat in Allen Robinson, who is as good as any at going deep and going up and getting the ball. I think that offense is going to be scary, provided Stafford stays healthy uh, with the 49ers. I just I don't know what's going on with the quarterback position. I'm not sure how much we trust Trey Lance. Uh, we'll believe it when I, see, when I see it. I still think they're a team that competes for the playoffs because that's a good organization and a, and a coaching staff that knows how to win and get, put themselves in a spot late in the season. But I think that's the Rams division to lose. You know, you know what, what they're going to be 0-1, though. San Francisco's going to be on. Of course one. they are. They got to open up with, with a big problem. Big problem in the Bears. We'll get um, there. So we're both, we're both on the Rams, but like you said, pending the quarterback health, that's every team. But uh, John Wolford as a backup does not impart a whole lot of stopgap trust. I thought it was, if, I thought it was Chase Daniel. Don't they have Chase Daniel? No, he's a charger. Different LA I think, team. Yeah, I think, it's John, yeah. I think it's the accountant, John Wolford still. Okay. Oh, um, but those are your divisional picks. That's where we stand. Let's get down to brass tacks. Let's get down to business, Matt Riddle. Let's start mm. start talking February in Arizona. I'm not talking waste management, baby. I am talking waste management. I kind management. of am, too. Awesome we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that. Don't worry. We'll talk about that. Uh, waste management and the Super Bowl in Arizona this year, same weekend. Should be a party. But who's going to be there representing the AFC and NFC? Uh, I will give the floor to you, Matt Riddle. What's your Super Bowl matchup? Uh, I'm going Buffalo, Tampa. I think Buffalo is the best team in the AFC. I think they're going to, I think whoever wins the AFC West will have, will be a very good football team and have a chance to compete with Buffalo. But I think Buffalo is going to be a little bit fresher because I don't think they're going to have to battle for that division as much. I think they're going to have home field and obviously they got better from last year. They were right there with Kansas city. They were a busted coverage slash Tyreek Hill amazing play away from winning that football game. Who knew 13 seconds wouldn't be enough. Um, and I think this is their year. That might be the easy chalk pick, but that's where I'm going there. And then I, the NFC is wide open. I think the Rams are going to be obviously really good again this year, but I just, there's always the Super Bowl hangover thing that that's always going to be a factor. It's always going to be looming. They played a lot of football last year. I just think, Tampa gets it right by the end of the year. And they're a team that's while they might start out a little bit slow is playing their best football at the right time. And when Tom's teams are playing their best football at the right time, they usually end up making a run. So I'm going to go with Tampa and Buffalo. Okay. Tampa, Buffalo. I like the picks. Um, How many years do you think that we've had, uh, we've been doing this podcast, but it's a five now that we've had a Tom Brady Super Bowl pick. I feel like Probably it's been at least them. four of at the least, four of yeah. the five. <laughs> um, Buffalo is hard to look away from in the AFC, but I'll tell you why. Bills are zero and five in one possession games last season. All eleven of their wins came by multiple possessions. Now they were in a knockdown drag out with the Chiefs, and they showed they can play in that type of game. And a coin flip may or may not have decided it, but till they show me that. They can do that all season long and beat playoff teams in the regular season and be in one possession games and win those games. 
I will raise an eyebrow and I will look for value elsewhere. Um, so in the AFC, I'm going to take the Chiefs to get back to the mountaintop and represent the conference, and they will play against the Los Angeles Rams, who will look to go back-to-back. They will not go back-to-back. Patrick Mahomes gets Super Bowl, Super Bowl number two. It's the Chiefs over the Rams in the Super Bowl 27-17. I give you a score, Matt Rooney. Look at that. I like that. I guess I didn't Flip pick that. technically Flip my that Super later, Bowl winner. That, that felt right. Uh, I'm going to say the Bucks do beat the Bills in the Super Bowl. That's okay. my pick. Um, uh, let's go. Uh, Tom into the sunset. Let's go 34-24. Bucks wow. in the Super Bowl. Tom It'd rides off into the sunset only to come back one more time. <laughs> um, so those are your Super Bowl matchups and picks. Matt is going with the Bucks over the Bills, Bills. and I am going with the Chiefs over the Rams. Sorry, um, Bills. Those are, we apologize. Sorry, we apologize, but I believe it when I see it. I'm rooting for I like I like the Bills. I like their fan base. I love Josh Allen. I would not be mad if I was wrong and they win the Super Bowl. No, I, I kind of want it, them to win the Super Bowl. Because just, yeah, it's been that it's been that gradual build to the moment, but um, you know, gotta win some of those big games. Gotta see it happen. Yeah. All right, Matt, we got an MVP. Before we say goodbye. Yeah, before we say goodbye here, MVP, and then I got a couple quick questions for sure. you, non football sure. related. Oh. MVP, I'll just come out and say it. I may have leaned into it a little hard in my divisional wrap-up. I am giving you value here. I'm giving you 30-1 to on a guy who has led the NFL in passing over the last three seasons. Derek Carr, 30-1. to Wow. If the Raiders win that that division, like I believe they will, I think that Derek Carr has an MVP caliber season. Now, does a bigger name maybe outduel him and earn that award? Maybe. But at 30-1, to on a guy who throws for 5,000 a season, who just got the best receiver in the game, who could remain consistent and competitive in the toughest division in football, I mean, make the case for the young man or for the middle-aged man. But 30-1, to Derek Carr, that's my MVP pick. I like the pick. I think there's some great value on there, and I wouldn't tell you you're going to be wrong. I think if, if you like the Raiders to win the NFC West, go get yourself a Derek Carr MVP exactly. future because that's the path for it. Um, I'm going to be really boring and go chalky, but it's it's going to be Josh Allen. I think they're going to run okay. through that division. I think he's going to have a fantastic year, and he's got the narrative, which in these MVP races is important. He's you know he's his name is now up there with Mahomes and Rodgers and Brady, even though he hasn't won much in terms of you know how the media views him. They view him as that guy. They view him as an MVP caliber guy, and it's kind of hard for them to go away from those guys, as, as we've seen in recent years. Um, so I, I think Josh Allen has a fantastic year. I think the Bills kind of run through that division. I don't think they play a lot of one-possession games in the regular season, and I do think he's your, your NFL MVP. Plus that visor he got just screams MVP. Yeah, it's good stuff. That's good yeah, stuff. It's a great visor. Uh, you just kind of you just kind of jog my memory on a topic here. We don't have to deep dive into, but Matt, best the only jogging I do. The- Best quarterbacks in the NFL in your eyes. Like, however you measure best. I'll let you think about it for a second because mine goes Rodgers, Allen. Excuse me. Rodgers, Mahomes, Allen, Brady, Herbert, Stafford. Those are my top five, top six. Okay. Um, Rodgers, Mahomes, Allen, Brady, Herbert, Stafford. I'll go Mahomes, Rodgers. I'm going to flip those two, though. I don't think either way is wrong. I'll go Allen. You're going. You're going to go Bur- or Herbert over Burrow. Yes. Interesting. I'm going to go. I, I'm going to go that's I'm a tough go, one for me. I'm going to go Burrow I'm, first. You, Burrow over Herbert. I'm going to go Herbert. I'm going to go Herbert over Burrow, even though he represented the AFC. I, I did kind of forget Joey B there, and that was disrespectful. Yeah. I would slot. I would slot him at six over Stafford. Is what I would that's, do. Uh, there you go. 
There you go. Um, let's go Burrow, Brady, Herbert, Stafford. Is that right? Yeah. Let's go. Let's go with that. So I have Mahomes, Jimmy, John, I have Jimmy, Rogers, Jackie, Jamie, Allen, <laughs> Burrow, Herbert, Brady, Stafford. That's my top seven. Matt's top seven. Didn't have Derek Carr in that there, Joe, even though you got him as your MVP. Your, <laughs> that's why you're getting him at thirty to one. Thank me later. Uh, thank us later for doing the heavy lifting. The Moose and NFL preview. This like was a three zoom. This was a three zoom meeting pod. Three people. zoom pod. Three zoom with, meeting. Uh, with a nice uh, college football playoff uh, deep dive in there nightmare. as well. Um, that's why we appreciate our producer, Matt Rooney, for doing the hard work here on the Moose News podcast. Matt, before we say goodbye, I need a couple ratings out of 10. Mm. You just attended a wedding in Aspen. Oh, yeah. Was I, I, want you to be, like, I want you to pretend like you're not talking to the groom right now, and I need oh, a rating out tough. of 10 on a couple things, all right? Sure. All right, you ready? Set I'm it. ready. Setting what's well, it? It's an obvious ten. I mean, it, you know that. Yeah, you can't. T- it doesn't, it doesn't, that, get, it doesn't better. get better. That's why we started with setting. That was a ten. Um, s- service, the, uh, bartenders, wait staff. How, how'd you make the? What'd you make of the service? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a nine a nine four. I thought they were very yeah. good, and I thought they were very bartenders efficient. were I sharp. They were, they were they kept things moving. There were just I think there was two lines that turned into kind of one towards the end of the night, but everybody kept uh-huh. moving. There was never more than a than a five, 10 minute wait to get the 10, 10 was rare that you were waiting. That they also, they also they did a great job like, of just making a bunch. They made, they kept they making like the, the signature mixed, cocktails. The signature they were sitting yeah, out. So if you just yeah. wanted to grab one of those, you could walk up and you grab, grab it. I like that. Um, they also had like mixologists, like bibs on like, or whatever you call uh, apron, like yeah. they had very cool, like leather and canvas apron. So that, that was points in my book. All right. So it's a nine, four on bartender and wait staff DJ. Yeah. DJ was fantastic. If we're being totally honest with you and had some few, had had some few drinks at that point of the night. So I couldn't recall like the best songs that we listened to. I just remembered liking all of it. So I thought it was, I thought it was kill the the lights, kill the lights hit hard when kill the lights came on. Um, Also, I got to give him a 10 out of 10 for my personal book because he brought those CO2 tanks. I did not order those. He had a CO2 gun. That was on my mother's eyes. I did not order those. DJ Ronnie just showed up with two CO2 guns. That was a lovely touch. Um, What else can we get you on? Food. I want to, I want to, I want to, because, you know, it's always hard. It's always hard to scale. I know we had a couple steaks that came out undercooked that went back in. Mine was fantastic. I want your food rating. What did you have? Beef, salmon, veggie. I had had the beef. Um, Okay. Joe, it was, it was a above average wedding. You know, when you're making steaks for a wedding, it's really like, you're never going to do everything custom. You're doing Mm -hmm. everything, you know, medium, medium, well, probably leaning that Mm -hmm. side. I had a very above average, acceptable, good, solid steak for my dinner. The appetizers were fantastic. Yes, they, they, they dinner, dinner, dinner was dinner was what I ex- expected it to be. Um, How about the risotto cake next to the next to the steak. I'm not a big mushroom guy, and there was a mushroom mm, risotto. I'm not tough. a huge mushroom that's guy. No. Sorry, sorry to do that I, to you. That's yeah. that's okay. Everything else that was solid. I like the breadsticks they were bringing around. Those were very good too. The salad was solid. Yes, mm. I ate a salad. Um, oh. Appetizers were fantastic. I, yeah. I'm not I'm not a big crab cake guy. Alyssa said try the crab cake. Crab I tried cake. it. I was like that was delicious. The uh, elk, tuna, elk skewer. The tuna, the, was ahi, lovely. the ahi tuna crisp, ahi whatever tuna that was. That was my favorite. Oh, um, I, what else uh, did we have out there? It was we had, uh, duck confit. Something duck confit yeah. was very good. That was, um, of so course, yeah. Joe Musso had duck confit at his wedding. Um, we but no, it was, we gave you elk, was, duck, beef, salmon, 
poke like the whole the, yeah the, the whole the, thing, the whole thing. the elk skewer the one of the ladies came out from where the like the kitchen area was and we were kind of standing by that that bar area at the, the cocktail hour and she yeah. brought out the skewer and you know I, me and four other guys grabbed what was left and she just went back and i was i think it was me and i think might have been jeffy forgot who was like yeah we're just going to be waiting here for when you come back just keep it coming <laughs> Oh God! We wanted to give some sort of mountain oh, yeah, nod, and the, the elk skewer was okay. Final rating. Uh, mm. Need you to rate the groom's entrance. Oh, I mean, it was, <laughs> Joe. So the, those who don't know, it's very big property, and and the house where you get ready is a good couple hundred yards away from from the. Yeah, it's a, it's a most minute people, and a half golf. Yeah, cart ride. most people are getting around on golf cart rides. And while the bridal party was rolling up in, you know, two bigger, you know, the, the golf carts that, you know, you pack a bunch six of people on and take them out cart. to the driving range, the six person, there are a couple, a couple of those. And then Joe just rides out on his own ATV. Um, <laughs> so uh, of course he did given one handed waves. I, I was hoping you just kept your I mean, hands on the wheel. I mean, um, tuxedo on a four wheeler leading a cavalry of my, uh, of my I, groomsmen and bridesmaids. I told this to be to honest you. with you again, you're not Go going to believe this. That was not planned either. Mm-hmm. I was going to just, I was going to be driving one of the golf carts and mm-hmm. Kyle Gorgel, who was being an amazing help with everything. Utility man podcast, that weekend. You just, the, the utility man MVP. He caught like eight fish in a, in a small lake and like caught like big fish in this small lake. It was hilarious. Kyle won the weekend. Um, he handed me the key to the ATV. He goes, you have to ride this down there. He goes, you have to enter alone on an ATV. I was like, you're kind of right. Don't I? Threw on some sunglasses and jumped on that ATV. So I think I was a 10 out of 10 groups entrance. You were going to say I, what though, Matt? No, I was going to say, I talking to a different friend of the pod. I told you this and, and friend of the pod, Frank Marchiori, I'm already one and O on locks of the week uh, this okay. year because my, <laughs> my week zero lock of the week was Joe Musso to have the first and more outfit changes than Shelby. And that okay, was, yeah, yeah, that yeah, was yeah, one yeah. within the first half hour because the ceremony was a nice, tw- nice, not brief, but like, 20, I, I, feel, I, feel, I feel like the 20 to 30 minute window for a ceremony is, is perfect. I think it's a perfect window. Yeah, we weren't in a Joe, church. We weren't doing Joe, exactly. Eucharist. We weren't doing uh, Joe was in the nice all, Joe was in the nice all black tux. And then after the ceremony walked down the aisle, popped on a fresh white one fresh white coat before yeah, uh, before you, anything got think, going he couldn't have got out of that black coat were, quick enough so that was my yeah. first lock of the week i'm one and oh uh do, we, do you have a lock do you want to like scroll oh wow quick? yeah we, wow. we got yeah, 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 yeah. yeah i kind of forgot about that start. i can go we first forgot about locks of the week i've been looking at these first. numbers all day so let me find my favorite you got fair enough i had so i i wanted to do you know an honorary lock of the week and you know pick the bears and pairs plus seven and a half at home or whatever it is now but we we stay away from the bears and i'm gonna i'm gonna stick to that i like staying away from the bears with my lock picks uh i'm i'm in the college ranks here and mm-hmm. i am going to go ooh, i'm in between two of them i'm going to go stanford usc under 66 and a half i think usc looked pretty darn good in week one uh, okay. And the offense was buzzing, but they were at home against Rice, and that was a very – what we saw from Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley is a little bit of a front runner, and against bad teams, he loved piling it on. I think Stanford's going to play some physical football uh, against a USC team that still has some holes up front and defensively, and I think that's going to be a, a clock-moving kind of game where 66.5 might be a little bit tough, and I think they're going to challenge USC a little bit more than people think. So I'm going to take the under 66.5 in Stanford SC. Under 66 and a half, Stanford SC is a sharp play. I like that. That's a lot of points. That's a crazy pace to maintain. Even if USC plays really well, I don't see Stanford then scoring enough to get it to 66 and a half. 
Okay. That's right. Um, I, I like that one. I'm going to go between a couple here, but I'm going to go with the opening night. I'm going to go mm. Buffalo LA over 52. I think those Let's offenses go. are far more prepared than those defenses. I think tackling is always a question early on in the season. Give me points out of the gate. Buffalo LA over 52. What, and the, the bet here is uh, two boxes of, of, of two boxes golf of balls? premium golf balls. As it there we go. Customized to your customized to your desire. I'm gonna hope uh, I can hot, start hot this year and hold on to that hot start because that's been my problem. I start hot and then I, I fade down the end. We can't fade down the end. It is a marathon, not a sprint, and it starts with a single step. We will do just that We're this back. week on the Moose Podcast. We are fully back. Get the music ready. We will have your recaps week in and week out in the NFL ranks. We will wax poetic about the lack of talent at the collegiate level. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to have a whole lot of fun, though, this season. For Matt Rooney, I am Joe Musso. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Moose and Rooney's podcast. Matt, think about it, the people. Later. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs> you know the state was for now.